Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, Holy Cross Day, is a day for being recalibrated. It's a day for reorienting ourselves toward what truly matters, what is most essential, which is the cross of our Lord Jesus, his death and his resurrection for you and for me. That is at the heart of all history. That is at the heart of the universe. That is what truly matters. That is what is timeless and eternal and which uh, judges everything else in this world and shows us what is the most important thing of all. Today is a day for being recalibrated. Because I don't know about you, but over the last six months or so, I've felt a little bit disoriented. Discombobulated, you might say. There's a good word for you a little discombobulated as our attention has been drawn to all of these things that are temporal, which seem to be changing constantly, where we can be flitting from one thing to another. What has the president said? What has the governor said? What has the CDC said? What has the Big Ten said? Okay, All of these different things, and your attention is all over the place. Oh, what's going on on Facebook? What's going on on Twitter? What are my friends saying? What are my family saying? What are my neighbors saying? What am I saying? And all the while, you can feel like we're being unmoored from what matters most. Today is a day for being recalibrated, seeing again what is most essential and vital, which is the cross of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Now, a little bit of history, briefly, and you might not care for this. I'll be brief. If you're interested, you can come talk with me more. I find it interesting. But the background of Holy Cross Day so why do we celebrate Holy Cross Day when we do? Well, I'll tell you. In 325 AD, the Emperor Constantine's mother, Helen, decided she was going to go on an archaeology dig. Now, Constantine kind of famously became a Christian and declared overnight that Christianity was the legal religion for the first time in the Roman Empire. And as a result of his conversion, his mother, Helen, also became converted. And she kind of had this, this deep desire to find the true cross of Jesus. And so she becomes kind of an amateur archaeologist, and she has in mind to go to Jerusalem, to go to the Holy Land, and there to seek out the cross. So she goes, she takes a team, and they go on a, on a dig there in Jerusalem, and she's looking all over the place, can't find it until finally somebody says, oh yeah, I, I know the spot where the cross is, up on this hill over here. And they go, and they dig up, and she finds three crosses. And, so the story goes, she knew that the one in the middle was the cross of Jesus, the true cross, because when it touched a corpse, the corpse came back to life. Pretty cool. Now, take that story for what it's worth. It's probably more legend than history. But what is history is that 10 years later, her son, Constantine, dedicated the Basilica of the Holy Sepulcher, de dedicated a church on that very spot, on the spot where Jesus supposedly was crucified. And the day that it was dedicated was September 14th, 335 AD. And so how fitting that this weekend we should be celebrating Holy Cross Day, because in a sense, this is our own time of rededicating our church as we come back into God's house here. And even more than that, where we turn our attention even more fully to the cross of our Lord Jesus. Because it's not just about that history, interesting as that might be, but even more so today is about the significance, the meaning of the cross of Jesus for you and me today in our own time. 
And of course, in a sense, our whole faith flows from that tree of the cross. But today's scriptures lead us to one particular significance of this cross. Jesus sets it out in today's gospel. He says, I, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. The cross is the uplifting of the Lord who desires that all people be saved. But, and here's the thing, along with that uplifting of Jesus, there is also an upending of the ways of the world. All the ways of the world, the things that put Jesus on that cross, now those things have been upended along with him being uplifted. And our scriptures today lay out at least three ways in which the cross of Jesus upends our world. It upends the the ways of the world's power. It upends the ways of the world's wisdom. And ultimately, the cross of Jesus upends death itself. So I want us to think about this upending cross of Christ so that you and I might more boldly and confidently hold fast to our faith in that crucified Savior. So first of all, the cross of Jesus upends the ways of the world's power. Paul lays it out in our epistle reading when he says, Here, the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. What the world thinks is power has now been exposed and revealed to be a sham because the Son of God has revealed the power of God precisely in that place of his most profound weakness. See, for the Romans, for the Romans of that time, the crucifixion was a place of power. It was a place for revealing the power of the empire is for them to show that here we are going to flex our muscle so that anybody who would think about transgressing the bounds of this empire, who would think that you might have some power, no, 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 no. This is what happens to you if you try to cross us. You end up on a cross. The crucifixion for the Romans was the place where they revealed their greatest power. And we can go even further than that, see. For the ruler of this world, Jesus uses that phrase, When he says that, who who is he talking about? Who is the ruler of this world? He's talking about Satan. say, well, wait a second. How could Satan be the ruler of this world? This is God's good creation. True. But insofar as God's good world is in the thrall to the evil one, insofar as sin continues to infect his good creation, Satan is the ruler of this world. And for him, at the cross, he thinks, ah, This is my greatest victory. Satan is dancing at Calvary thinking, now I have the Son of God defeated. But uh, the early church fathers, they had a name for the cross with respect to this evil one, with respect to the ruler of this world. They said the cross is the devil's mousetrap. The cross is the place where Satan thinks that he has his greatest victory. Oh, Jesus, now I have you on the cross. And boom! Now Satan has been cast out, as Jesus says. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the power of God is manifest in the weakness of his son. It makes me think of a a scene from one of my favorite movies, Cool Hand Luke. You guys ever seen the movie Cool Hand Luke? You can put it on your cue if you haven't seen it, okay? It stars Paul Newman as Luke, and he is in prison in Florida. And he comes in, 
And all the other people in the prison, no, nobody likes him. Everybody's kind of looking down on him, looking to, um, to expose him. And so uh, they propose a boxing match between Luke and this other guy, whose name I think is, is Dragline in the movie. And Dragline is the one that everybody looks up to. He's the big, powerful guy. He's the intimidating guy. And so there's this boxing match where Luke is totally outsized, outmanned, and Dragline is just giving it to him. All the, the prisoners are making a circle around him. They're saying, yeah, get him, pow, pow, pow. And Luke is just boom, boom, boom. He's getting battered and beaten, and the crowd loves it. Yeah, give it to him. You show him who's boss. And Luke just keeps taking it. He falls down to the ground, gets back up, maybe does a kind of just a weak little uh, swing, but hardly even ever connects. And the crowd, their mood starts to change as Dragline just keeps destroying him. Now they're starting to feel a little more uncomfortable. And the people aren't saying, go get him, Dragline, go get him, Dragline. Instead, they're saying to Luke, stay down, Luke. Stay down. But he won't. He just keeps getting up. And eventually, the crowd starts to disperse. People walk away. They are ashamed of themselves. They feel like they themselves have been exposed by this spectacle. Until finally, Dragline himself gives up and walks away. Because Luke, in his weakness, has been able to overcome. And I think of that because I think this is what Jesus has done. In his weakness, as Paul puts it elsewhere in his letter to the Colossians, he says that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities. He showed them for what they truly are, triumphing over them in the cross. You want to see what power looks like? Look to Jesus, the one who kept going down and who would not stay down. But instead, through his death and through his resurrection, there is the power of God for you and me. Jesus upending the ways of the world's power through the cross. Not only that, he upends the ways of the world's wisdom. And I think especially in our time, we need to hear this. Paul tells us that since in the wisdom of the world they did not know God, it pleased God to save the world through the folly of what we preach. Here is the foolishness of God manifest in a crucified Savior. Here is the, the this is God's greatest power. This is where we see God's salvation poured out on a cross. It shows the wisdom of the world for what it is. It unmasked it for the folly that it truly is. And I want to be clear about this, see. It's not to say that we as Christians don't learn in many ways from the world's wisdom, however we might want to call it, whether it be reason or logic or even when we think of the sciences. The wisdom of the world can be good, can be helpful. Where we get into trouble, though, and what we see, I think, in our contemporary culture is when the wisdom of the world is driving the bus, see. And when that's what's in charge, and that's what everybody is looking to, to, to find direction and to find guidance, we as Christians can learn from the wisdom of the world. But where we get into trouble is when it comes up in contrast with our faith, and we say, well, I probably want to trust that. I, want to, I probably want to trust that human reason. No, we can learn from it, but it's not driving the bus, see. It's in the back seat. That's where it needs to be. What drives the bus, what leads us, what guides us is the truth of God's word, especially as that truth has been revealed in the crucified Savior. 
So yeah, we can benefit from the sciences and from medical research and from psychology and philosophy and all of these things. These can be good and God-pleasing vocations, but we need to recognize their limitations as well, that ultimately the truth of God in Christ Jesus, that's, that's what provides the lens for us on the world. And it makes me think of the painting, which I put on the front of your worship folder if you want to take a look at that. Uh, this is from Salvador Dali. It's entitled The Christ of St. John of the Cross. And I'm not an art critic, but there's one thing in particular about this painting that has always caught my attention, and that is the perspective. You notice the perspective of this painting. It's from above the cross. You see, it's looking down past the cross, down to the world. And in fact, the uh, depiction of the world that's beneath the feet of Jesus there it was Dolly's own hometown in Spain. And what this says to me is that we as Christians, we look at the world through the lens of Christ. See, the cross of Christ, that's the, we have cruciform spectacles, so to speak, through which we see and interpret everything else. It doesn't mean that we turn away from the world. It doesn't mean that we just totally dismiss the wisdom of the world. But it means that we are looking through everything, through the eyes of faith and through the lens of the cross. You with me? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. That's a trick. It doesn't make sense. That's the point, see. This is the folly of what we preach, the foolishness of God manifest in Christ Jesus, who has upended the wisdom of this world and revealed himself through the cross of Jesus. So Jesus has upended the world's power, upended the world's wisdom. And maybe most of all, he has upended death itself. See, Jesus tells us that a grain of wheat, if it, unless it dies, it remains alone. But if it is sown in the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. He's speaking of his death, which, if we can put it this way, is a lively death. It is a fruitful death because that seed does not stay sown. That death is not the last word for our Lord Jesus. So that now, through his cross, it is a lively cross. It is a life-giving cross for you and for me. There was this fable in the Middle Ages that tried to give a, an expression to this. And again, it's a fable, so take it for what it's worth. But the story goes that Adam and Eve... After the fall into sin in the garden, they were just utterly crestfallen and in despair and wondering, how are we going to ever find forgiveness? And God promised Adam that before you die, I will show the way of forgiveness. So Adam clung to that promise. Years pass, hundreds of years pass, until finally Adam is near death. And he calls out to God to be faithful to his promise that he was going to show a way of forgiveness. And God sends, a, sends an angel and tells Adam, Okay, Adam, you need to send your son Seth to the Garden of Eden. We're going to give him a one-time passage into the Garden of Eden, okay? This is, not a, this is a round-trip ticket. He's not allowed to stay. He goes into the Garden of Eden, and here's what he needs to do, to cut off a sprig from the tree of life. And when you die, Adam, he needs to plant that sprig in your grave. So time passes, and Adam tells Seth about this plan, and sure enough, Adam dies. And Seth goes into the Garden of Eden. He cuts his sprig from the tree of life and comes back and plants it in the grave of his father, Adam. And as time goes on, that little sprig turns into a great big flowering tree. 
And it was a miraculous tree so that anyone who touched it would be healed or even if a corpse was to come in contact with this miraculous tree, it would come back to life. Well, as the years go on, people forget about the miraculous powers of this tree. It's looked at as, as just another tree. Until finally one day, some soldiers are passing by and they need some wood to do their work. And they see this tree, just looks like a regular old tree, and they chop it down and fashion it into a pair of crossbeams upon which would hang the Son of God. Now again, it's an old fable, but it's expressing this spiritual truth, which is also said in, in today's liturgy, that there at the tree of the cross, Christ Jesus has overcome that now that tree is a lively death, that where death arose, now life might arise in its place through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now that that tool of death has been transformed into an instrument of life. Now our great physician Jesus has taken this uh, shiv and turned it into a scalpel, see? Through the cross of Christ, you and I are given life in this way that upends the ways of the world. It's power and it's wisdom and most especially death itself. Through that place of dying, Jesus has given life to you and to all the world. That is the place that we look to see. Here is life and life eternal. This is what we cling to. This is what we hold fast to, even when it sets us apart from all the rest of the world because it has upended all that the world has known. And this is the, the closing encouragement I want to give to you. There was a, a 20th century novelist by the name of Flannery O'Connor, one of my favorite authors, and, and she said once, paraphrasing the scripture, she said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. <laughs> you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. Nowhere is that more true than when it comes to your faith in a crucified Savior. The world looks at that and scoffs. How dare you? How could you? See, according to the ways of the world, human reason rules all things. Power is the be-all and death is the end-all, but not so for you. Not so for you because you belong to that crucified Savior. You have been baptized in his name. That sign of the cross has been made over your forehead and over your heart. Here you receive the fruits of his lively death from the tree and his death and his resurrection, giving to us his very body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. While all the world looks and scoffs here where it sees foolishness, you see wisdom. Where it sees weakness, you see the power of God. Where it sees death and the end of the story, you see a life. That is just beginning. Can I get an amen? Amen. That is what we have in Christ Jesus. And you know what? It is going to put you at odds with the world. It probably already has. And one of my teachers told me once that the most important thing that we can teach our kids, right? You hear, listening to this, kids? Is that if you're going to be a Christian in our world today, you're going to be weird. You're going to be weird. I know, you're making that look at me. But the thing is, we got to get comfortable with weird. We need to be okay with being odd. Because in that place of scorn, in that place of, of folly and weakness, there you are with the living Lord Jesus. 
and there is no greater place to be. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.